Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys. This is a podcast from CBS News, and I am your host. The show is a breakout from the CBS News Weekend Roundup, and every week we discuss issues including gender and race. This week, we're talking about a study finding that Muslim Americans are twice as likely to report a history of attempting suicide compared to people of other faiths. It is an issue that experts say hasn't gotten enough attention in this and many other communities. But in April in Allen, Texas, six members of a Muslim family were found dead in what police call a murder-suicide. Reporter Caroline Vandergriff reads from a suicide note posted by Farhan Tohid, who said he and his brother suffered from depression. Farhan said the decision was motivated by love, writing, Instead of having to deal with the aftermath of my suicide, I could just do them a favor and take them with me. None of us would ever have to feel sad ever again. A family friend who attended a vigil spoke for many once they learned details. Some of the points that he had, that he had, you know, he was upset about, that maybe we don't talk about it. It's time to talk about it. Dr. Rania Awad, a psychiatry professor at Stanford University, was among those who reached out to help make that happen. She is also lead author of that study about Muslims and suicide attempts and joins me to discuss the findings. That conversation after this short break. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way. Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Basically, I would say that our lab, which the Stanford Muslim Mental Health and Islamic Psychology Lab, which is really the only one of its kind, we focus on the topic of mental health in the Muslim community. And our team undertook the study where we partnered with the Institute of Social Policy and Understanding and the Institute of Muslim Mental Health to really understand the pain and the trauma and the difficulties Muslims as humans really have been facing um, and highlighting that because there's very little data about suicide and U.S. Muslim populations, and we hope that the study would help fill that gap. And so in the, in the study itself, what we found is that, you know, this rate of increased suicide attempts is double other faith groups and non-faith groups. And what was um, important to point out right off the bat here is that this is not death by suicide or suicide completions. These are attempts and they're lifetime attempts. And this is concerning, of course, because it's a trend upward from what we had expected. And also because it's different than what is now in the literature and continues to be that deaths by suicide for the Muslim community are usually the lowest of all groups. And that's likely still true. And that probably speaks to the faith itself and some resiliency factors within the faith. But this trend of suicide attempts is very concerning. And that's what we're really hoping to focus our future research on to figure out the why. It's interesting that you would say that there are more attempts, but fewer completed suicides. Is that a different, is that two different messages that's being sent by, by what you're finding? 
There are two different measures. There are two different types of research. One would be about attempts and those who are able to still be able to tell the story of what um, of, of not having died by suicide versus those suicide uh, completions are a completely different way of measuring and, and studying because it's looking at deaths at that point in time. I get it. So did the people that you spoke with, what, what did they say was their reason for attempting suicide or was there that, did they get that specific with what they said? So this particular study, this the, the study that was published in JAM and American, the Journal of American Medical Association, didn't focus on the reasoning behind why the suicide attempts were higher. However, other research studies um, that we've completed and other uh, studies indicated that actually it was both racial and religious discrimination and marginalization were the most prominent of the risk factors uh, or suicide risk factors for U.S. Muslims. And this is something that's been going on for decades, right? Like it has for Black people and Asian American people. And, Correct. And of course, as we approach the 20th anniversary of 9-11, I'm sure you know there is increased pressure, although I'm not sure that your study would say that. But what have you been hearing anecdotally? Anecdotally in the community related to the last couple of decades, if we focus there, is that definitely there's been, and, and not just anecdotally, actually our research, we specifically study this in the lab, definitely has shown that there has been increased stress and increased discrimination, both racial and religious, um, for the Muslim community. And what's really important to understand is that when we um, dehumanize people, we portray them as unable to feel any pain. And what we wanted to do here in this study and the work we do in the lab is to make sure that we're really careful to show the human side of the trauma and the pain that people carry as Muslims as humans carry. And, um, you know, often when we talk about pain inflicted by a very small minority of Muslims, we focus on that and we don't acknowledge the much larger and more diverse Muslim population and their pain and their trauma. So, you know, I really commend you, Alison, because, you know, it's not typical to have stories like this in which Muslims, where they're being featured for, you know, their own pain and trauma and what they're experiencing and really understanding what that is. So I'm glad we're having this discussion because it's really important to understand the human aspect of this population. Absolutely. And for our listeners that might not understand, and let me start out by saying I am a black woman, so there is some of that in my community. But Mm -hmm. how is the pain of what Muslims are feeling different than what other ethnic groups are feeling? Right. Definitely the layers. There's definitely many different layers of complexity. In some ways, marginalized communities have very, very similar experiences. The Muslim community, in addition to layers of um, racial discrimination also have a religious discrimination, particularly because there has been in the media and, you know, and and even in other spaces, kind of a um, demeaning of Muslims as really, you know, kind of focusing on just aspects of their um, background that is often painted in a very negative light. And that has caused quite a bit of stress for Muslim populations, Um, feeling kind of marginalized, feeling this thwarted sense of belonging and perceived burdensomeness upon uh, others and community. So for here, and those are very, those are the very same risk factors we look at in suicide research. I think I read somewhere that in parts of the Muslim community, people believe that faith alone prevents one from being depressed or, for, or prevents one from 
having the desire to commit suicide. Is, is that a, an accurate observation? There has definitely been conversations, and I would say definitely after this publication, on the discussion of this is faith alone enough. And I would say that that's actually something not just in the Muslim community, but we hear in so many different faith communities, that there is this, um, you know, unfortunate understanding that that faith alone can help. And that's, you know, there's not there's not a need beyond it. If our study has shown um, anything also, in addition, is that, you know, the you know, that religion and faith is not simply enough to, um, uh, you know, to hold against mental health conditions. And I think that's really important message, especially for all faith communities, actually, that um, would not necessarily acknowledge kind of this mental health piece of it. So for us, we're definitely looking at, um, you know, working with various communities to make sure that that message is very clear and that there isn't an odds with really working through faith communities and making sure that not just suicide, but mental health in general is better addressed. I'm curious. I remember earlier this year that there was that awful murder-suicide that left six family members dead in Allen, Texas. And Mm -hmm. I know that you authored a piece around that time suggesting how one could prevent such a scenario from happening. Can can you walk me through some of the things that you suggested for people who may be listening who need that help? Absolutely. Absolutely. Some of our main um, work that we we, we did right in the, the aftermath of the Allen tragedy is really to focus on community response, appropriate community response around the topic of suicide. And this is not just in the Muslim community, but we find this actually in many faith communities, that because the focus is so much on, you know, faith is enough, there's not necessarily always very clear and concrete discussions on what to do in the aftermath, which we call postvention or crisis response for suicide. So immediately the same day, actually, we trained, um, you know, an entire group of leaders, Muslim leaders in Dallas area, including the imams of that area. And uh, through the lab, we've developed a model of healing, community healing and grieving and being able to pick up pieces, which by the way, is very, very different than suicide prevention work or suicide intervention work. Postvention work, which is what this uh, we were doing after the Allen tragedy, is really very unique. And for the Muslim communities, it was really important to understand that it had to be faith- it, Based. It had to be something that was congruent both culturally and religiously for that community in order to help its healing. So that's the work that we do through the lab and in its uh, nonprofit that offers these trainings called Maristan, M-A-R-I-S-T-A-N.org. It occurs to me that there may be some listeners that don't know much about that tragedy. So if you could just give me a line so that they understand what we're talking about here. Sure. The Allen uh, tragedy was... Uh, a very unfortunate situation where, uh, you know, two young men um, planned a suicide murder in which they murdered the family, you know, four other family members and then died by suicide themselves. And it really shook up the entire community, not just the Allen and Texas community, but really across the U.S. It was a very um, horrific and kind of just unfortunate tragedy. There was also a suicide note that um, unfortunately went viral. And because of that, it was passed around quite a bit on many social media. Uh, It was put up originally on social media and passed around on social media. And we worry, especially those of us in the space of mental health and suicide work specifically, um, of suicide contagion, of actually worrying about 
copycat suicides in which actually unfortunately did happen and fortunately there were no other deaths by suicide afterwards but there were many attempts in the aftermath that's a terrible and tragic thing let me ask you just one more thing because i know you're really busy uh have things gotten better in the Muslim community now that there has been more of a discussion of this and, and more imams are, are talking about this, right? In a less, uh, perhaps I should say, rigid way? I'm really glad you brought that up. I Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm seeing hope. And here's where the hope is. You know, we have this goal that within, um, we're calling it the 500 imams campaign, basically that before, you know, by 2022, that we would have trained at least 500 imams and Muslim community leaders in our certificate training that's very custom tailored to Muslim leaders that integrates the most up-to-date evidence-based scientific research on the topic of suicide prevention and intervention and postvention, in addition to really grounded in kind of that Islamic understanding and faith so that it's, you know, it works for this community. And the imams have been very interested in signing up. They have been. We actually, I was, I just came back from Minnesota where I did a training for the local community. It was, there were, it was literally spilling into the hallway. I mean, there were so many people who wanted to be trained and I'm thankful to see this difference. We know that here in the U.S. there are nearly 3,000 mosques or more, and our five-year plan with Maristan is to train all of those centers, the leaders within all of those centers, we hope. Okay. Is there anything that I did not ask you that you think it is that is important for our listeners to know so that they have a better understanding of the Muslim community? You know, I would say that, that definitely, um, let me think for a minute. <laughs> But I, that definitely when we talk about um, Muslim communities, there, there's, there is quite a bit of misunderstanding. And I just want to emphasize the amount of diversity within Muslim communities. The, the faith definitely binds all these different groups together. But it's really important not to clump them all into one group and understand that these are different communities. And um, what definitely kind of uh, is a thread that connects them all is the faith, but also this, you know, we talked about earlier, that thwarted sense of belonging here in the U.S. And my my hope, my sincere hope is that U.S. Muslims um, don't have that experience going forward in future generations so that we see things like the markers that we worry about, like suicide, um, go down. That was Dr. Rania Awad, director of Stanford's Muslim Mental Health and Islamic Psychology Lab and lead author of this study. Thanks so much for joining us, and thanks to Ashley Armstrong for her production assistance. Like what you hear? Come back for more. There will be new episodes of Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys every Monday. Follow the show wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Keys, CBS News. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. 
I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.